Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about moments that I know we all have. If you're human, if you have a pulse, we have moments where we lose it. And maybe especially with our kids with anxiety or OCD, because we are just under so much stress and, and sometimes fear of what's going to happen. How do I fix this? What am I supposed to do? Right? Does this sound familiar? So today I'm going to talk to you about handling parenting moments when you lose it because we all do. And what do we do besides beat ourselves up, feel horrible, go to bed crying? Because <laughs> none of that is really productive. So we're going to dive into that today. But before we get started, I do want to thank No CD for sponsoring this episode. No CD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy. They're available in the US and luckily outside of the US as well. You can schedule a free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com, and I'll leave a link in the show notes as well. Other announcements, my book has been released. This is, it was released last week. Super excited to offer that to you as another resource. And so if you are interested in giving your child some tools to crush their OCD, you can check out my workbook. The OCD workbook is called Crushing OCD Workbook for Kids, 50 Fun Activities to Overcome OCD Through CBT and ERP. And it's it's marked as in a book that is good for kids 8 to 12, just because publishers have to put an age range on it. I always like broader age ranges, but they really said they couldn't because I do feel like it could be helpful for kids even younger, like a six-year-old, if they're just cognitively pretty smart and able to catch on to things. And I think it could go pretty way up as well. I think a 14-year-old, 15-year-old could easily find benefit in the workbook if the cartoons don't annoy them. You know, there's some cartoons in there. And if that's going to insult them, then there are other OCD workbooks that I'd recommend that are for teens. You can check out um, Dr. Patricia Zarita Ona's workbooks. John Hirschfeld has a teen workbook. I think Lisa Coyne has a workbook. And so there are lots of people who have teen workbooks out there that are great. If your child likes my style and they watch my YouTube channel, they might like a workbook from me. And so don't let the age range dissuade you. It's still, the skills are the same. Whatever I teach is, is universal. It can help an adult. It can help a child. It is a children's book. It's not for adults, but I do feel like it could go up a little bit more than 12. So if you're interested in that, you can check it out at natashadaniels.com slash OCD book. And um, I'd love to, to see you use it and get some benefit from that as well. Okay. So let's jump into today's episode, meltdowns of our own. <laughs> so I was sitting here today trying to think about what to talk about. And after 354 episodes, sometimes I get stumped. I'm like, I don't know what I haven't covered yet. I've covered everything under the sun. If you ever have a podcast idea, please email it to my assistant at at yahoo.com and just write in the heading podcast idea. I would love to hear from you. 
If you're like, you haven't covered everything, I've been waiting for you to cover this particular topic, shoot us an email. There might be a reason why we haven't covered it. It might be too specific. Um, You know, when you're creating a podcast, I always like to say to myself, is this general enough that it can it can help a lot of people. And so sometimes parents will have a very specific question and it's just way too specific for an episode, but email us, email my assistant and put podcast idea as the heading and as a subject. And let me know. I would love to hear from you. That might be a great idea because back to my story, I'm sitting at my, I'm sitting in my living room and I'm feeling really frustrated because I can't think of what to talk about. And I have an interaction with my child and I lose it. (laughs) And then I'm so angry that I can't come back to my notes to look at what I should talk about my podcast because now I feel like a fraud and I feel like anything I'm going to talk about is a lie because I just lost it and now I feel really bad and I'm sitting in the shame and I'm feeling like I won't be able to record my podcast episode today because I'm just going to feel like a fake. (laughs) And then I thought, oh, I could make an episode on this. And then I'll feel really authentic because I like, I'm just dealing with this right now in this moment. So that's where I got the topic idea, full disclosure. And hang on, because we're going to dive deep into Natasha world as I try to give you examples of, of, of tuning into the messages that are happening underneath. So as a little backstory, I am really trying to live a more purposeful life. I know that sounds a little woo woo, but I'm like, I'm really trying to be an observer of my thoughts an observer of my actions an observer of life. And I want, I'm trying to be more in the moment and I'm trying to be aware of when I lose that I'm trying to be aware of when I feel stressed and what's causing that. I'm really trying to do a lot of self-help work on myself, internal work. And that has made me acutely aware of when I, when I get off track or when I am not following my heart, or I lose control. And, and as an observer inside of me, it's an interesting thing to watch. So I want to talk to you today about those moments that we lose it. Because inside of those moments, and this is what I realized today, I had like this huge epiphany today in my moment, and we'll talk about that in a second, that it was data. And I, if you listen to my episodes, or you have listened to my episodes, or you're in my AT parenting community, especially, you hear me talk about this data a lot. I talk about collecting data. There's data in our children's answers. There's data in their behavior. Like I am, I'm a a data collector in the sense that not literally, but in the sense that I feel like everything brings me information and I can do something with that information. It's not a passive situation that this happened to me or this happened to somebody else. It's like, Where's the data? Where's the objective data that can come from that that actually can be helpful? And I realized, and we're going to walk you through this in a moment so you can kind of do this for yourself, but I realized that my my losing it in that moment had so much information about me. It was like a little mirror that kind of shone shined back at me and had a lot of data. <laughs> And if I'm losing you and you're like, what data is she talking about? I'm going to walk you through this. And it may or may not resonate with you, but I feel like sometimes we're leaving things on the table, you know? And I feel like with, with our own moments of losing it, we're leaving, we're leaving some juicy things on the table and why not 
take those lemons and make lemonade. I say that a lot, you know, like there's something that we can benefit from these even ugly moments because they're not ugly. They're human, right? So the first thing I want to start with is you're not alone. Every human being and especially every parent loses it. We lose it in different ways. We might lose it with our partner. We might lose it with our animal. We might lose it with our kids. We might lose it with our boss or our coworkers or our employees. Like we all have moments that are, are less than because we are filled with emotions and sometimes we, we react with our emotions. And so I think recognizing that you're not alone, that you're not this horrific person. Sometimes we live in a world of toxic positivity where we're not allowed to be imperfect, where we're filled with Instagram and Facebook feeds of perfect parenting moments and, you know, quick memes and inspirational quotes about being the best parent. And that can, that can actually add to the shame, I think. And so I think it's important that we start this episode with normalizing, losing it, and, and recognizing that it's, it's coming from a purpose. It's coming due to a reason and, and, they're, and that they're normal. We all have them. So when you have an episode or a day, and I'm really talking about in those moments, you know, those heated moments where you just, you like lose it. And I don't know what it looks like for you. I feel like for me, I, I think it feels bigger at this point than it really is. Like in my head, I like screamed and I threw things across the room and I was horrible. And in reality, my tone was raised and I took a bowl and slid it across the cab, the kitchen cabinet. Well, why can't I speak? The kitchen counter. (laughs) That's the word I was looking for. Um, like two inches, you know? So do you do that? That's the first thing we want to recognize besides normalizing this is, are you blowing it up in your head? And maybe you aren't, maybe you're like, no, it was, it was ugly, Natasha. And it was objectively ugly. But I do notice for me, the more that I'm working on this, the more discrepancy there is between what objectively happened and what my brain is telling me, telling me what happened, which adds to the guilt and shame. And so pause when you're when you're reflecting after a, a a rough situation and ask yourself was it as bad as your brain is telling you and the answer may be yes but it may be no as i'm walking you through this i'm going to weave in my story as an example just to humanize it if you haven't listened to my recent episodes or you haven't caught up with me in my life my son is now in online school and a whole bunch of reasons for that. I've talked about it in prior episodes, but it was super, super crazy, stressful the first week. It got better the second week. And I'm finding my groove. I don't know what week we're in. Probably we've already had the first month. We're on to the second month, maybe. And um, it's a huge adjustment because I am used to working at home doing this kind of stuff and, you know, doing things for my community and doing, you know, my courses, all that kind of online stuff. And I'm used to like having like 8.30 to 2.30, like completely silent and, and solid, you know, so I can get into my rhythm, get into my groove. And by the time I pick up my kids, I can like turn everything off and I can focus on them. 
well, there's a hard shift going on at my house because that's not happening anymore. Trying to foster independence and develop routines. And there's a lot of handholding, a lot of handholding, not as much as the first week, but for those of you that homeschool or have a child who's doing online or have a child who's just mentally struggling and is living, you know, at home all the time and isn't going out, you know that it's like you don't get a break and it's really hard to do your own things. So that's the background. My son was cooking. He's in a cooking club, which was very cool. And I had already taken all the energy to go out and get all the missing ingredients that he didn't tell me he needed. And so in the middle of my day, you know, and so we're going to the grocery store, you know, and the whole time I'm thinking, I'm not working. I'm not answering emails. I'm not doing this. I haven't recorded a podcast, you know, and so it's building up. And then we, you know, start to make it. Well, I won't tell you the whole story because it's just a long, boring story. But bottom line is, it wasn't going well. And the dough wasn't really sticking well, because we used gluten free flour because my daughter has celiac and I wanted her to be able to eat it. And I think that it made it a little bit harder to make the dough stick. And he just kind of lost it. And he had lost it a couple times, but he just was like, and he didn't lose it big. That's another thing. Sometimes we have a bigger response to our child's struggle or our, our child's issue because we're running on empty or we're running on fumes. And we're going to talk about that, you know, like what's going on with us that we can have a big reaction when really in that moment, the child or your child wasn't really having a big moment themselves or that that's at least what's happening in this moment that I'm describing where he just said, it's not going to work. It's not sticking. It's not going to work. And I just lost it. <laughs> you know, I just lost it. And it wasn't even that big of a deal what he was saying. He wasn't like crying or running away or hiding. He just, he just said, it's not working. It's not going to work. I can't do this. And that was enough for me just to, and I was just like, you know, we were, I had some bowls that I was trying to clean up while he was doing that. And I kind of moved, I roughly threw them a couple of inches and I was like, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You do it. I'm putting my AirPods in and I just totally checked out. And, and then I actually feel like I did say quite a few things, you know, I was venting. And this is the thing I want to mention for you is the data, the data that is inf- is information. And that's interesting because there is so much to harvest. <laughs> that's like a weird word to say, but there's so much to harvest in these moments after the fact, like in the moment when you lose it, I don't know about you, but like, I can't get it back. Like, it's really hard to me. It's hard for me to like unring that bell once it's been rung. Like I can't, I have a hard time bringing myself back. Um, if I can catch it as it's building, I can redirect it. But once like the, a real like moment happens, it's hard to stop it as the momentum starts to flow. Like then you just kind of have to get it out. And then we have to deal with the damage afterwards. And I'm going to talk about that in the second half of this episode. We're going to talk about repairing and what repair looks like with you and what what looks what it looks like with your child. And I think both of those are really equally important. Going back to what I was saying. So when when you're in that moment, it can be really hard to, to hold it back. But I think that a lot of times what we wind up doing is just feeling a lot of shame and guilt afterwards. We might over autocorrect and want to 
make it up to our child. And so we wind up, you know, being super helpful or super nice or super apologetic or, you know, everyone has different reactions. It might be interesting to look at that. What reaction do you have afterwards? I kind of stew longer and it's really hard for me to to not be angry. What's it like for you? Because I think every one of us is different. Some of us might just feel like we want to fix it. We feel really guilty. So we're we're going over the top with our child to like make amends. And I think some of us can't shake off the anger. For me, that's me. Like I can't shake off the anger. I'm already not really ir- irritated and angry. And also I'm like extra stressed. Whatever was already stressing me, I'm extra stressed. And so then I'm even more um, agitated. But today I was able to actually have some insight, which is nice when that does happen. And the first thing that I noticed is pay attention to what you say in those heated moments. Because it's telling you a little bit about why that overwhelmed you or why that triggered you. Like sometimes we speak some truths, maybe some ugly truths in the moments when we're really frustrated. You're not even trying. You never try. I do everything for you, right? What are you saying in those moments? Because that's that's your pain point. And sometimes, and this episode isn't about our kids, it's about you, but sometimes our kids too will kind of say their pain points. I can't do this. It's too hard. No one ever listens. Like, you know, we don't always say what we mean when we're angry, but there's a bit of truth behind it, what people are venting about. And it's it's information. If you replay what you said in those moments, obviously it's it's exaggerated and it's in, more intense than maybe how you would articulate that. But in the moment, what I was saying to my son was, you never try it's always all or nothing. Everything's ruined. I've done all this stuff for you today. I've gotten the groceries. I have taken all my time out to work with you. I haven't even done any of my own work. Also, I can be here for you. Also, I can make it. And the minute the dough isn't perfect or isn't working, you give up and I'm carrying you a hundred percent and I'm done. It's exhausting. I can't do it anymore. That's what I said. And honestly, that's how I'm feeling. And so even though it wasn't said in a compassionate way, the words, the content were the fuel that that fueled that meltdown, my own meltdown. Does that make sense? So pay attention to what flows out of your mouth when you've had it, when you're done. Now, sometimes the content won't really matter much. It's just you letting off steam. You're just tired. You're exhausted. But sometimes there's some interesting nuggets in there. Because afterwards, when I was reviewing it in my mind, I was like, okay, so much to work on here. And I mean myself. And so it's a window into where you're feeling overwhelmed or where you're feeling resentful. And so it's, there is an experience. It's an invitation to learn what needs to change, not so you can prevent future moments where you lose it because I feel like that expectation is loaded and it's setting you up for failure because we're human. And I think to to tell myself tomorrow's a new day and I'm not going to ever lose it again is setting myself up for failure. I, I like the thought better of I'll do the best I can. Every day is a brand new day and I'll show up in the best way that I can. And, and I feel like that doesn't set me up for failure because I'm going to have moments and days and hours that are that are less than and I'm going to have moments and days and hours that are beyond that are impressive where I'm like whoa I was like I was zen today 
I really approach that well. Like, and you have to give yourself kudos when, when you knock it out of the park. I think sometimes as parents, we only see the bad things and we don't ever recognize that was legitimately hard or this is legitimately hard. And I'm okay. It's, it's okay for me to lose it sometimes because what I'm dealing with is legitimately hard and any human being would have a hard time with this. So looking at what's going on with the moment when you lost it, where is the story for you? You know, there's a story in that and I'll, I'll kind of try to break this down and be more concrete so you can see what I mean. So for me, there's a couple of different pieces here. I'm saying I'm doing everything for you. I'm not being able to work. I did this, this, and this for you today. And so in my head, even though intellectually I'd say, oh, I don't think this, but obviously emotionally I am thinking if I put in 110% effort, then I should see the reward for this because I deserve it. I've put in this much time with you and now you better show me some results because otherwise I'm angry with you. And that's really the gist. It was part of the gist of what I was saying or what, what the energy was behind my words or behind my meltdown was, why am I not seeing results here? <laughs> you know, it's a frustrating thing. Why am I not seeing results here? And why aren't you not gr- grateful and being more optimistic instead of having your all or nothing thinking and it's a failure and I throw up my hands and I can't do it. You're supposed to be better now because I'm putting my effort in and the work is the work on my end. And so where do we go from there? So you take your story and your story, your the narrative or whatever you're telling yourself is probably going to be different than mine, but I'm just trying to use me as an example. And I had to say a couple of things to myself today. Not that this is going to fix the problem because the feelings are still there. We don't really get to control our emotions, but we can reflect on them and process them, right? I mean, our emotions are emotions. We can't say next time I'm not going to be angry or I'm not, I can't, I won't feel resentful. I don't have the right to feel resentful. Well, you don't really get to control what emotions want to bubble up, but you can process them and see where they're coming from. And so I realized one on a very practical level I need to shift my expectation that I'm going to get anything done, especially on Mondays when he has cooking club, (laughs) because that requires a lot of handholding because they're cooking things in the kitchen and he doesn't know there's a lot of moving parts going on. And so the expectation is, okay, I need to shift my expectation that all these things are going to get done on Monday, that I'm going to record my podcast after, you know, three, probably once he's done with all of his stuff. And I don't have too much else going on on Mondays and I probably need to keep it light. So that's, that's like a very practical thing. So if you're always getting really anxious at your child and you're blowing up in the mornings because you're going to be late for work, it's like, and this is not always practical, but it's like, okay, can I move my first meeting a little bit later? Or can I wake up a little earlier? Like sometimes there are like practical things that we can do to reduce the stress. In this case, it's really more about my expectations for myself and my days. I'm used to having a very large to-do list that I can knock out every single day. And what's happening since he's been online is that my to-do list for Monday goes into Tuesday, goes into Wednesday, goes into Thursday. And as the week goes on, my resentment is building and building and building until I explode. So I need to readjust my expectation that you're not going to get everything done on your to-do list. And you're going to be interrupted all day long. 
And that is going to be frustrating. And that's part of the process because you care and love about him and you love him and you're putting your energy into him and your focus that that's a worthwhile sacrifice. And so that shift has to happen, which I've been working on, but it's a, it's a daily practice. The other shift for me, and this might be a shift for you too, is just because I, just because I pour in my effort to make my child better doesn't mean that then they have to do their part, right? I think as parents, and you think I would know better because I do this for a living. I talk to you guys about this, but we're all human. But I think it's really common, and obviously myself included, to think I'm I'm knocking it out of the park. I am, you know, signing you up for all these things, and I've got you all these services, and I'm here on tap to help you. And I'm teaching you how to self-regulate and I'm teaching you how to do this and I'm teaching you how to fight your anxiety and your OCD and I've got you a great therapist or I've gotten resources and I have all the skills and now you need to do your part. And when they don't do their part, it is common to feel resentful, to be like, I'm doing 110% and you're negative 10. What the heck? (laughs) And that can build up resentment what I'm learning and what I feel like I have to remind myself today, and maybe this will be a good reminder for you too, is just because I pour in doesn't mean someone pours out. I know that makes no sense, but you know what I mean, right? Just because I'm giving to you doesn't mean then you give back to me by getting better. It's They're not connected. We would love them to be connected. The more I give to you, the more I help you, the better you get, but they're not connected because, and I say this all the time, we're only one piece of the puzzle. You know, they have their personality, they have their wiring, they have their physiological struggles with anxiety or OCD dysregulation and our skills and us showing up and us providing them with these resources and getting them all this help is only one small component of that. And that's a kind of a frustrating thing to realize, but also an important thing to realize because it's pretty easy to take it personally when we're giving, 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 and we're not, there's no payback. There's no instantaneous payback. The payback often comes way down the road. Years later, maybe when they're an adult and they say, you know, mom, thanks. Thanks for, you know, I know that was hard for you. And you may never get that. You know, hopefully we would, but you may never get it. And so it's a a thankless job. And it's kind of like when I tell my kids, you know, we give to give, we don't give to get. And you know, I often want to do something anonymous for people. Like I want to help someone, but I don't want them to know it's me because I don't want anything back. And I don't want to make them, I don't want them to feel awkward. And so I'll like randomly gift someone some money, but I'll find a way to give them the money without them knowing it was me. And a lot of people give to get, you know, whether it's accolades or no, you know, people noticing them or literal things like now you do something for me. I gave this to you, whether it, not, not necessarily money, but like anything, you know, I give you, then you give me. It's a, there's reciprocity there. And what, one thing I've always tried to teach my kids and I've tried to live by is you give to give. You don't even give because it feels good. You just give from your heart and you, there's no get, um, there may not be a get, you know, and that's okay. You might get it in another way, right? You give, give, give over here and you get from over in this area unrelated, you know, but what comes around the world come around, but you don't do it for that. And I feel like it's the same with our kids. We give, 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 but we may not get in the way that we want. We may not get results right away. We may not get 
progress right away. We may not get gratitude right away or ever. Maybe hopefully down the road, but maybe not. When you have that expectation, it's a daily practice because obviously I did not have that today, but it's a good reminder as I'm processing my little meltdown today. It was like, he's going to be him and it's not going to solve. It's not going to be solved in a day or a week or a month. And I'm only one piece of the puzzle. And I might be like, you know, killing it. (laughs) Like, I feel like I'm killing it right now. I'm giving so much, like really my, you know, everything's taking a backseat to making sure that I just really do this well. And just because I'm killing it and I'm giving it all my all does not mean that I'm going to get the results that I want because it's not an inanimate object. It's not a project at work. It's, it's a human being. So that might be something you need to hear too. I think that's, that's a common one for all of us. And so there's things to learn about that. So I'm, I am learning that I need to be, there's a couple of messages that are coming through. I'm doing too much and I'm too invested in his happiness. I'm too enmeshed in his happiness. And you might want to ask yourself, does that trigger anything else for you? I've done an episode a little while back. Let me find out what episode it was called. Hold on. Let me look. It was episode 348. Does your child's anxiety or CD trigger your childhood wounds? If you haven't listened to that one, um, and that sounds interesting, listen to it. You can go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, And then look to the right and there is a search button. If you're on a desktop or an iPad, it's probably different on the phone. And you can type in just childhood as a keyword and that it popped up. It was the first thing that popped up. So that might be something to listen to because you want to ask yourself if you really want to dive deep. And honestly, I feel like not processing these moments, if you have the energy, not that I do this every single time, but today, I don't know, I got a little clear headed and then I was able to process this, but um, if you, if you pull back even farther and you say, what does this remind me of? Does this remind you of anything? Does this remind you of a different situation? Does it remind you of a different person? Does it remind you of something that you dealt with in childhood? When you're having big reactions about something, it's interesting to say to yourself, what does this remind me of? And, and maybe it's nothing. There's nothing. It's just, this is a frustrating situation and it's really upsetting me and I'm done. Or, or, and, or you might say, Hmm, this reminds me of how I felt when, and for me, I have had a history of trying to pull people out of black and white thinking and sadness. I grew up with a bipolar. Here we go. You're gonna hear Natasha's life story again. Sorry. (laughs) You know, I grew up with a bipolar dad who was never happy, always depressed, multiple suicide attempts. And as a child, as the middle child, especially my job was to try to like keep the peace in the family, always trying to make people happy, trying to like, and I always felt like if my dad could just win the lottery, he'd be happy because I thought it was all money-based. And then in my first marriage, my husband was from England and was, oh, he would, He'd be happy and then he'd go through periods where he was depressed, um, kind of similar to my dad. And I remember just thinking, if I could just find like an expat group for him, like if he could just meet other British people here, he would feel happy. Or maybe we can move back to, we can move to England and then he'd be happy. And no matter what I did, it never helped. You know, I, I found like a British restaurant and I was like, oh, we can go here and, 
you can eat British food and we can have fish and chips. And whatever I did was just never scratch the itch to make him happy. And then with my current husband that passed away, he had left his department and he was, you know, looking to go into a different area of expertise at his work. And he was just very listless right before he died. And also a pretty low key, somewhat depressed guy at times. And I would pour my energy into trying to figure out what would make him happy. And I remember the month before he died, or yeah, it was the month before he died, I had like got him all these things. And I was like, maybe you want to teach, maybe you want to be a professor, maybe you want to. And I was like, just so desperate to make sure that he was happy. I think, and these are all men in my life, right? My dad, both my husbands, (laughs) multiple husbands. And I realized that I'm always trying to make, to fix someone and make them happy. And this is reminiscent of that. You know, it's like, you feel like you're doing everything and you just can't get them to be happy. So there's some skeletons there. There's some baggage that is unrelated to this current situation. And what I'm learning from this, and I'm hoping just by sharing this, you can have your own aha that might be completely unrelated to this of, oh my gosh, this reminds me of this. And this is kind of a trigger for my childhood, or this is something I've dealt with before, even at work, whatever it is, or what I'm dealing with now. I realized that I don't want to own his happiness, that his mental health is not my journey. And I tell you guys this all the time, but I don't want to own it. I don't want to feel responsible for it on a level that I'm feeling the bumps and I'm not anchored. Does that make sense? I want to be lovingly detached because I'm not in charge of someone's happiness. I'm a piece of the puzzle. I do my part as a parent. I connect them to resources, therapists, psychiatrists. I process things with them. I say the right things most of the time, not always. And that's my role. But that is one piece of the puzzle. And if they're not happy or if they don't enjoy life, I can't control that. And there's a part of it. It doesn't mean that we don't care or that we don't try to connect them to the, to this, to the help, but it's not my job to live vicariously through people and make them happy and content. And that's obviously hard historically for me. I am obviously uncomfortable with people not being happy in life or happy with their life and wanting to fix it. What about you? What, what are your triggers? What are things that you're bringing to your frustration with your child or teen or young adult with anxiety and OCD? What things are kind of getting oozed into that journey? Um, and so what's the takeaway for me? I'm doing too much. Okay. So maybe I need to just pull back a little bit because I'm obviously over invested in the baking, <laughs> not particularly the baking, but I was a little over invested. Like, okay, he can get upset. He doesn't, and if he doesn't want to make them, who cares? Like a little too invested right there. And so I need to lovingly detach more and lower my expectations that A plus B does not equal C. I'm A, he gets to control B, who knows what C will be, right? We don't like that because we want more control, but the but the reality is we don't have full control. And that I need to actually, like on a concrete level, expect that I'm not going to get things done each day. <laughs> that one's so hard for me. I'm such like a type A person. So what do you need, right? Do you need more support? Are you feeling like you're the one doing everything and you're feeling resentful? Do you need to work on your lovingly detached skills? I do have a podcast on that. Let me look it up for you. Um, 
I think that's a good one to learn. And obviously it's a daily practice because I was not lovingly detached today. I was very immersed in wanting him to be happy. And I think the hard part was like, he was so excited about baking and he was like, oh, I'm like so, so excited. I can't wait to start baking. And I had laid everything out for him. And then he goes to baking club. He turns it on because it's on Zoom and he got the wrong recipe. So already I was like, why didn't you listen? Like, why did you think that it was this recipe when it was the other recipe? So I was already kind of annoyed. And, and then I was so excited that he was happy that to see him go from really excited to the point where I was like, going to get him into cooking classes and maybe this will be his passion in life. Obviously I get too overzealous about these things to him hating it and him like not wanting to fit, finish the, the, the experience. So it was like high, high, and then low, low. And if I was detached from outcome, it wouldn't have mattered as much. So episode 249, you can hear me talking about how to lovingly detach from our kids with anxiety and OCD, but know that it's not going to always happen because we're human. That's partly why I try to share my raw, horrible experiences, because I want you to see the messiness. And I don't think, I don't think therapists enough talk about the messiness in it. And so that's part of, that's part of my goal in this, in this podcast in general is to show you the messy side. And then how do we get out of the messy? What do we do? Instead of just being like, here are five points to building your child's self-confidence, or here are five points to being lovingly detached. It's like, it's going to be messy. It's not going to always work out. And in the mess, there's some jewels. There's some nuggets we can take away. It can be a learning experience. Now, after the break, I want to talk to you about repair because repair is important. What do we do after this happens? What do we do with our child? What do we do with ourselves? Where do we go from here? Stay tuned. We'll be talking about that after the break. It's time we put help directly in our kids' hands. Introducing Crushing OCD Course for Kids and Teens. It was way more helpful than all the other therapy we've ever done because we didn't really know what to do. So we weren't really doing it before. So the course helped to figure out what the exposures are and how to do them. We're not in therapy and find it really hard um, to find an ERP trained therapist here. Um, So we're currently with like the public health service, but again, they don't seem to be trained in ERP. It's filled that gap that we don't have that was desperately needed. This was really well timed for us to use between therapists and to help us like start get off to a good start with this new practice. It was easy to use. Um, I was able to do it from my phone or also on the computer. There's different ages, you know, so there were younger kids, there were teenagers. And um, so that was really nice too, to have a variety of ages where it wasn't just geared towards younger kids or older kids. It was a nice variety. It's helpful for our kids to hear it from this like third party as opposed to just us saying it. I really like the offense and defense method. I love working on poking at OCD while it's sleeping. It makes it a little bit easier to do and it's kind of fun. (laughs) I'm planning on using it to work on my uh, fear of like holding or touching batteries and stuff like that. So it was really helpful and I think a lot of other kids would like it. I thought that I was like the only one who had worrying about the weather and stuff. And then there was somebody else on there who worried about the same thing, which was really helpful. Seems less scary to work on stuff now that I've watched this class and I'm more interested to work on it. 
I like trying to do more exposures still and going to, before I wasn't, I just didn't want to do them. I've worked on some of my bigger compulsions and been successful. I realised it was helpful to do like the exposures before it was like really, really hard. It's still hard, but it's helpful to know that I need to do them. Before there would be a lot of battles about it, so it is definitely less loggerheads. Really, really good course and super helpful. I definitely would recommend this. It's really easy to follow. It's in nice bite-sized videos. I really like the worksheets that go along with it, and I think it's really helpful. To learn more about this course and register your child or teen, go to atparentingsurvivalschool.com. Welcome back. So in the first half of this episode, we talked about that everyone's going to lose it. It's normal. We normalized it. And we talked about the nuggets that can that are takeaways that we often leave on the table and we don't take it because we're too busy beating ourselves up. We're too busy feeling guilty and we're too busy crying and going to bed. I don't normally cry, to be honest. I'm not a crier. Cried a lot when my husband died. So I cry a lot about that, but I'm not typically a crier with my kids. So I'm not crying about this, but I know a lot of people are because it's so upsetting. You feel so bad. So I want to talk about repair it's really helpful to model for our children that we don't just forget things. We swing around when appropriate, when things are calm, and we revisit this discussion. And so you might you might have a repair conversation a few hours later. You might have it a day later. I had it a few hours later, but it wasn't a full repair because I was still a little angry and irritated. So I don't feel like I did. I kind of went back a little bit with my messaging of like, I can't make you happy and you're going to need to, you know, you see everything as black and white. I kind of went back into lecture mode. So I clearly was not detoxed enough from the anger that was pumping through my body. So I do feel like repairing the next day is better for some people. You might be different. Um, I don't feel like that was a really a repair conversation. I did say to him, you know, I'm sorry that I got upset, but, and when you start a sentence with, I'm sorry, I got upset, but you're not ready for a repair conversation because it's a defensive statement, right? Because I kind of went into like, I have so much to do and I haven't done any of my stuff yet. And I got to record the podcast later. You know? <laughs> it's ridiculous, honestly. But circle back and what it will probably look like tomorrow is there'll be no but in the conversation. And it can be helpful to say, you know, I'm sorry, I really lost it yesterday. You know, And I think it's helpful to explain where you were at. And it's not so that your child can do things differently or so that they can exonerate you and tell you it's okay. There's no no result that we're looking for from our kids. And if you want something from your child, then we're doing it wrong. Because it kind of goes back to what I was talking about before the break of we give to give, we don't give to get. And so the expectation doesn't fall on our children. It's like, I'm going to do A, you're going to do B and then C happens. We have to get out of that pattern. And I'm when I say we, like we, I have to get out of that pattern too. And so the the repair is is solely so that you can have a healthy processing of what happened. And you can explain yourself, but it's not excusing yourself. And there is a big difference. And so I will most likely say tomorrow because I've done I always repair things. And my son has actually said to me in the past he said it's okay. Normally when I'm repairing, he'll say, it's okay. I know that you always will come back and we'll have a conversation about it. And he's, he's very kind and compassionate typically about it, but I'm not looking for that. I really honestly am not. 
Um, so I might say something like, I'm sorry yesterday that I lost my cool and I was very short. I was very frustrated because I had all my work to do and I get dis- I get discouraged when you instantly give up. But I'm realizing that one, I need to shift my expectations about my, my daily schedule, that I'm not going to get everything done because I've committed to you being online. And I know with that commitment means that I have to divide my time more. And that's, that's a me issue. And I'm going to work on that. And I've already said that to him once or twice for this whole new shift in transition, but I'll say it again because it is a daily practice and I'm obviously needing to daily practice. And today was not a good daily practice. The other thing I'll say, I know that I don't control you. And I know that like when you feel like you want to give up or you're feeling frustrated, that it's not about me. It's not about what I've done for you in the day or what I'm doing for you, that it's a skill that you're working on. And it's not, it's not something I need to take personally. And that's your journey. And so I apologize that I got frustrated in that moment. I was excited to see you happy. And I was so discouraged that you, you got upset, but I have to realize that you're working on that and that's going to take some time. And that's a repair conversation. And, and a lot of times I'll end with, you know, it doesn't excuse my, you know, those were the reasons why that happened, but it doesn't excuse that I lost my cool, but we all lose our cool sometimes. And it's like, it's modeling how they can repair when they lose their cool. And what is very nice is that sometimes when you do this enough, you can start to see your child having these repair conversations with you. And I've seen that happen now that my son's 14, he will come back and he'll say things to me after he's lost his cool. And he'll say, I'm sorry, I lost it. And this is what was happening. And he will kind of do something very similar to what I do. And so that modeling does work. It just takes a lot of time and you may not see the end results. And again, no expectation that you ever will see the results because that's not why we're doing it, but it is a great thing to model. It's a healthy relationship thing to do. But the other thing I want to spend some time on before we wrap up this episode is, do you have a repair conversation with yourself? Nobody ever thinks about that, or maybe they don't, I don't know. But do you just beat yourself up? You know, I mean, that's what I'm getting literally upset about with my son is that he's just so hard on himself and he's so, and he gives up so easily and it's all his fault and he's horrible. And, you know, all that negative self-talk, which is actually very triggering for me due to my own history um, with my father. But am I doing, is any of this work for myself? Am I saying, well, I'll tell you what I am saying and then we can talk about what you should say. How often do you say to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm just messing my kid up or I just took five steps back and I've ruined all our trust or I've ruined all the progress we've made. And we can move into all or nothing thinking ourselves. You know, like you were doing so good and you were being so patient all day and you were like knocking out of the park. And then just with one fell swoop, you just ruined everything. And now the whole day is ruined. You know, the everything's ruined, you know, maybe even bigger than that. Do you do that? It's common, right? We have our own all or nothing thinking. I'm a horrible parent. I'm a fraud. Um, I can't do this. I'm not good at this. Whatever you're telling yourself, what stories do you see bubbling up for you? And how often do you have an alternative voice that's there to support you? A lot of us don't have an alternative voice. I have one because I've been I've been nurturing it and I've been growing it and I've been, you know, tapping into it, but it does not come organically. It is something that you really have to work on. And for me, that alternative voice is, it was a rough moment. And you know what? This is a rough situation. You're trying to do a full-time job and help your child 
24 seven as well. Plus you have one at school that also has her struggles. You got one in college that also has their struggles. You don't have your husband anymore. You're a widow. You're like operating solo. You have a lot going on. It's okay. You can't be mother Teresa all the time. And it's legitimately irritating. And it's hard to watch someone who just gives up so easily when I am the complete opposite. I just give, I like work at it, work at it, work at it until I figure it out. Like I have this tenacity that this grit, and that's not, that's not his personality right now. And that's frustrating. That's okay. So how often do you normalize that for yourself and say, you know what? You got a lot going on and it's no wonder that you lost your cool and that's okay. So what things can we work on? It's not that we just, you know, pat ourselves on the back and say, you're human. It's okay. This is a tough situation. Let's just wake up tomorrow. It'll be a great new day. We're still then leaving some nuggets that could be, could be used because today I'm like, okay, I need to reframe my expectations. Obviously my expectations for lots of things are skewed. My expectations for how much I can get done at work need to be revamped again. <laughs> it's a daily practice. Cause I mean, I keep falling back into the, to that thing of like, I think I'm good now. I think I can do everything again. Nope. I, I need to lower those expectations. I need to reframe my expectations of him. Just because I'm pouring, 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 pouring doesn't mean I'm going to see results, right? We don't get to control that. And it's nothing personal. And so I need to reframe my expectations and say, he's an all or nothing thinker right now. He's dysregulated. He's going to get frustrated. And if I get frustrated, I should just walk away. I need to put my AirPods in sooner. I need to say, I need to take a break, those kind of things. And then the last thing that I think is really, really important that I don't think we do enough is, and this is going to happen again. Because it's not, what should I do to prevent this next time? I mean, yeah, it's great to grow from these experiences and you can improve over time. I feel like I am so much more mellow than I was three years ago, like before my husband died. I feel like I'm so much more present because that's kind of the gift of, of grief is like, you know, you really, really value the people that are around you that are still alive. I doubled down, you know, it was like really present for my kids. But I also understand that I'm going to lose it sometimes and that is okay. And having that acceptance that I'm going to learn from these things and I'm going to try to grow. And I'm also going to sometimes get pushed over the edge and I'm going to just fly off of it, you know, head first. And that's going to happen. And then I just need to like, you know, recover and climb back on the mountain and start again. And I might have to do that a lot. And there's no judgment there. And so I feel like that's the last piece is not having judgment and not having this expectation of if I can learn my nuggets from what happened, then it won't happen again. Well, probably not (laughs) you know, (laughs) because you're human. It may get less. I mean, my explosive, you know, I can't handle this anymore was 10 times worse three years ago when I was under like all the stress of my husband dying. I mean, if I exploded, I would explode really big because I was just bottling in so much. And so my explosions now are such little micro explosions compared to then. So you can make progress over time when we work on ourselves. But I think when we, when we aim for all or nothing, we set ourselves up for failure. 
So I hope that you found this helpful. I hope that you were able to take away some insight about your own struggles or when you have your own moments of losing it and just some things to reframe and to think about. So I hope that you're finding this podcast in general helpful. If you are, you know, I always appreciate it. If you hit a star and rate it or leave a review, you know, I greatly appreciate that. Um, I got a whole bunch in January, so I do appreciate that because I was whining that I hadn't gotten one since October (laughs) because I like to read one at the end of every episode. Like that's part of my show. So when I don't have one to read, then I'm like, I'm going to end it and I can't read. I like to show my gratitude, you know, by reading one of them and I can't if nobody left a review. So I do have one for today, but this is my last one. So if you have been listening to this uh, podcast or tapping into my resources and you've never taken the time to leave a review, you know, I give to give, I don't give to get, just spend a whole lot of time talking about that. But it is a nice way to show your, your gratitude yourself is to give, to give back. Although there's no, no expectation there. (laughs) But I do want to thank KJ Rob, who wrote a blessing. This podcast is such a blessing to find. Navigation of the OCD world for my child and myself as the parent has been exhausting. Natasha gives great information on resources and the weekly podcast is a breath of fresh air each week. Her AT parenting community is also a blessing. Highly recommend both. Oh, I appreciate that. Love the AT parenting community. I am just pouring, pouring everything into that community more so now than ever because it's my full-time job and I just get to really write these really long forum responses to to parents. Um, They can reach me in the forums. And that's what I've been doing all day. And so I didn't like to be interrupted, (laughs) but I'm I'm learning to be flexible. Thank you, KJ Rob, for writing that. I do appreciate that. And I'm glad I can be a resource for you guys. I'm glad I can live it and then teach it at the same time. I often wonder and worry, (laughs) such a weird random thing. I like worry when my kids are going to grow up because I'm like, being in the trenches is like, it's frustrating. And obviously I've just spent the whole episode telling you how frustrating it is, but it's also so helpful because I'm like, okay, I just went through this. I know everyone else is going through this. Let me just talk about it while it's raw, you know, and I'm sure I'll find my way when my kids grow up, but I have, I have at least six years before that happens. And then even when they're young adults, I feel like we still have our struggles and don't worry, I'll still be here. But I do want to thank uh, KJ Rob for writing that. And if you have something nice to write, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. Don't forget to check out my OCD workbook that is now available. Very excited about offering that to you at natashadaniels.com slash OCD book. And I'll be back next week with a new topic. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com. 